The first reading is from the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis, beginning of the first verse. Moses said, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take oaths in his name, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees that he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that you, it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out your enemies before you, as the Lord says. And in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. And he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on earth to our ancestors. The Lord, he commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we may always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey this law, before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Now, I've included uh, chapter 7, verses 7 to 9 there. For your meditation afterwards, I'll be referring to it in the sermon, but it's basically God set his affection on you, not because you were great, but because you were small, because he loved you. You'll see that. And in chapter 8, again, for your meditation afterwards, God humbled you, you were sinners, he brought you into the land he fed you to teach you that a man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so in chapter 10, verse 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. 
And the New Testament reading is from the 12th chapter of Mark, beginning of the 28th verse. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad What you just heard is called the Shema, which means hear in Hebrew, as in hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shemir is recited daily in Jewish homes even today. It's followed by the Vahavta, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is at the heart of Judaism. It is also at the heart of God's will for you in Christ and it is close to the heart of the Christian gospel. And I want to explain why in this message. And to get to this, I want to tell you a story. A teacher of the law came up to Jesus in Mark chapter 12. A teacher of the law is like a theological lecturer, a person who gets God. But this one has come with an open heart. He's listened to Jesus. He's mesmerised by Jesus, as many of us are. And he asks a genuine question, not a trick one. He says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? It's a great question about priorities. What do the time managers say about decision-making? They use that sort of jar metaphor, place the big rocks in the jar first, get the important things right, then the pebbles, the gravel, less important things, and then finally fill up the space with the sand, the least important things, the time fillers. And if you fill up your jar with the gravel and the sand first, then you don't have space for the big rocks. Well, this man is asking the what is the biggest rock of them all? Of all the body of Jewish Torah, which is the most important? What's the one thing the God of the universe wants from me? Because it's a clean question without trickery, Jesus gives a clean answer. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And with all your strength, Jesus is quoting the Shema and the Havdah. 
Love of God is most important, said Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy 6. That's the greatest commandment, the largest rock in the jar of what it means to be a human. From this, all other commands and ethics follow according to Jesus. And in Deuteronomy 6, it can't be mere observance. We've got to love God with every fibre of our being, heart, mind, strength. The man asked for one command, but Jesus offered two. He said, the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. He's quoting Leviticus 19. Then Jesus says, there is no commandment greater than these. Very simple. As a mentor of mine once said, it's not complicated. You can write the commands of God on the back of a postage stamp before they went sticky. So here we have, with divine clarity from Jesus, the two greatest commandments. Love God first, love your neighbour second. And in that order, it's not love your neighbour with your heart, soul, strength. And it's not love God as you love yourself. Very important to get that right. You could argue that this mode, love your neighbour with your heart, soul, strength, love God as you love yourself is the mode of many Australians today, and it is in opposition to the true God. In order, and it has to be both, according to Jesus, not one pitted against another. You can't love God without loving your neighbour, which is sometimes characterised as a pious right-wing error, and you can't love your neighbour without loving God, which is sometimes characterised as a secular left-wing error. The teacher of the law agrees with Jesus uh, in verses 32 to 33, and he adds his own commentary. You can see it here. To love him with all your heart, to love your neighbour as yourself, it's more important, the man says, than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Better than doing the mere religious thing is doing the heart thing to God and to neighbour. And Jesus, seeing that the man answered wisely, says to him cryptically, but kindly, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now that's interesting. You are not far from the kingdom of God. You're warm. You're close, but you are not there. You're near, but you haven't arrived. In Eugene Peterson's reflection on this passage, You're almost there, said Jesus, right on the border of God's kingdom. Now, why is he on the border? And the answer takes us to the heart of the Christian gospel. There's a mic drop function in this story in Mark's gospel. You know that because of Mark 12, 34, and from then on, no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. But it also takes you into the heart of the book of Deuteronomy, We're in the second week of a series called Following God, the Verbs of Discipleship in Deuteronomy. There they are. Remember him, love him, worship him, listen to him, care for others, obey him, sing his praises. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Pentateuch and it is the Old Testament's manifesto of discipleship. 1,400 years before Christ, 3,400 years ago, Close to the beginning of the mega story, 
that we looked at a few weeks ago. And it dovetails nicely with our discipleship series in John's Gospel. We'll come to that during the series. Discipleship, of course, is about doing. Discipleship is about following the Lord. And that's why discipleship comes with verbs. We are merely dipping into Deuteronomy 5, chapter 5 to 11 today. Read it yourself later. But it begins with verbs. Deuteronomy 5, verse 1, Moses summoned all Israel on the edge of the promised land and he said, Hear Israel, Shema Israel, the decrees and the laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. Hear Israel. Learn, follow. Remember, Jesus said, Hear. Jesus said, Learn. Jesus said, Follow me. Discipleship is about doing, and that might seem counterintuitive when we're talking about the grace of God, but I assure you it is not. Karl Barth said, Grace must find expression in life, otherwise, it is not grace. It's something else. We're going to explore how grace works next week in particular and also next year, the whole of next year, we're going to be looking at grace. little announcement. Today we learn to love the Lord and it's the verb of the day. Do you love him? And in particular, we're going to ask, how do you... How do you not just love God, but rather love him in the way that he's, he requires you to love him? With your heart, soul, your mind and strength, do you love him this way? Lots of people think they love God when they are merely attracted to the idea of God or want to sort of claim or sit in Christian values and often it's for a mild form of self-righteousness. But we're not talking about liking God or merely admiring him, but we're talking about loving God with our whole being. Do you love God with your whole being? It's a good question to ask yourself for a quiet moment. So how would you do it? Well, there are many ways in which your love for God grows, but here are some in our text today. Number one, we need to hear God's law into our core, chapters 5 to 11. And then we need to trace God's grace into every space, looking at chapter 6, verses 4 to 20. We need to hear God's law into our core and trace God's grace into every space. I hope that rhyme there makes it slightly memorable for you. Firstly, we need to hear God's law into our core. And by God's law, I mean the story of his love. I'll come to that. The context of Deuteronomy is this. It's 40 years after the Exodus, out of slavery out of Egypt, and before the conquest of the land. Grace has brought them safe, safe thus far. Grace will lead them home. So the people of Israel are standing on the edge of the promised land, east of the Jordan. They're all there, with Moses standing before them. What will Moses tell them? Deuteronomy is three sermons given by Moses, plus narration. 
Today we begin the second sermon, the long one. Moses' sermon, that is, not mine, hopefully. Deuteronomy is the second reading of the law, the first being at Sinai 40 years previously, which is where the book gets its name from the Greek Deuteronomon, the second reading of the law. So, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 5 is the second reading of the Ten Commandments, the first one being in Exodus chapter 20. Chapters 5 to 11 is, well, begins with Moses and some verbs, as we said a moment ago. You've got to do something. Hear this, 5 verse 1. Learn these words. Follow what God says. Do something different with what you hear. Reconstruct your life. You can't be a Christian without following God and having him lead you. And following comes with certain verbs, like love the Lord your God. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you'll obey me. But this is no ordinary set of laws to follow, sort of things to do and not to do based on dispassionate legislation like speeding laws. This is not that. Or like health orders for public safety. You'll be glad to know this is not that. God is not a cop wanting to bust people for not keeping laws that politicians set. No, rather... In the Pentateuch, a relationship is being established between God and his people. That's so important. A covenant is made, uh, which is a, a strong promise that governs the future. And so a beautiful story is being laid out as the context for the commands of God. 1 John 4 verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And that's why the sermon, the second sermon in Deuteronomy begins with a a story, as does the first sermon, a covenant, this strong promise right, that he makes, that he makes with his people. Deuteronomy 5 verse 2, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb at Sinai. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us and with all of us who are alive here today on the edge of promise. Note here again that God is bringing the past into the present for the sake of the future in a profound way that we talked about last week. That generation, they weren't there at Horeb. Their ancestors were. But God says, it was not with them. It was with you. It was with us. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, you were, if you know Jesus. The Lord spoke to you face to face. Chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Out of the fire and on the mountain. And he said, God said, what? Right, to us. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That was me. You shall have no other gods before me. And then the second reading of the Ten Commandments, nothing's changed in 40 years. Four commandments related to loving and worshipping God alone and six commandments related to loving your neighbour as yourself. No other gods don't make any images of me like the nations around you with their idols. Don't misuse my name. Don't be flippant about my name. And fourthly, take a divine break on the Sabbath. And you can't love God without loving others, so honour mum and dad. Right? That's complex, but that's the, that's the principle. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal, lie or covet. The first and the last commandments are not just about behaviour, but, but, 
profoundly a matter of the heart. No gods in your heart beside me and no coveting. These are matters of the heart. In fact, all the commandments in the end are matters of the heart according to Jesus. Matthew chapter 5. God proclaimed these commandments in a loud voice so that you would hear it. These are the commands the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole community. Chapter 5, verse 22. This is my path, God says. Stay on it. This is how you love him. Now we'll get to chapter 6 in a moment, but chapter 7 through 11 maps out the story again. And God says, I'm making this covenant, this strong promise, on the edge of the promised land. And when you go in, right, you could forget that I gave this to you. Do not forget that I gave this to you. Be sure to keep the law, right? Drive out the other nations. We'll come to that difficult point in the series. And when you do, don't be afraid like you were 40 years ago. That's why you ended up back in the wilderness. And it'll take time, little, little by little. But trust me, why? Because this is a gift. It's by grace that God is giving you, ancient people of Israel, the land. It's by grace. So don't think it's come because you're great. In chapter 7, verse 7, the Lord did not set his affection on you. Isn't that beautiful? He did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. You were little. You were weak. You were nothing. It was because it was simply because the Lord loved you that he loved you. It's because the Lord set, it, set his affection on you that he set his affection on you. God chose the weak things in the world, the shame, the strong, said the Apostle Paul. And that's why the true land to come, the better country that comes in the resurrection of Jesus at his appearing, the renewal of all things, was secured by the cross of Christ, a weak thing. So, chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, don't think you did it. Remember that you too are sinners. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There's a verse to memorise. In chapter 9, verse 1, right the way through to chapter 10, don't skip the hard parts. Remember the golden calf fiasco? Remember the smashing, my smashing of the tablets? In chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, when you receive the gift... Don't say that it was because of your own righteousness. You know, you'll, for, you'll forget, you'll think that because you've got it, you're somehow more important. That will lead to some level of entitlement. It's not because of your righteousness. The nations that, that you're going in to conquer, they are, he says, profoundly evil. A whole stack of bullying that needs the justice of the Lord. But don't forget that you are too. Chapter 9, verse 6, understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For he says you are a stiff-necked people. So this is not about good guys and bad guys, white hats and black hats. And it's not about sort of Christian values. It's not about simply law-keeping or mere religious observance. This is about the gift of God. And it's about 
your heart. I wonder if the most important verse in this whole section is the rumbling cry from the heart of God. In chapter 5, verse 29, God says, God says, and who knew he could say it like this? God says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and to keep all my commands always, that it might go well with them and their children forever. Oh, that they wouldn't be stiff-necked and hard of heart, which is why we pray after the commandments in our Anglican tradition, incline our hearts to keep this law. Have mercy on me. Oh, for a change of heart, says God. Oh, for a genuine love from their hearts. So law in Judaism is not law, it's Torah. And Torah is not really legislation, but the story of divine love and living in it as an obedient child of the covenant. It's about listening. And so we listen to that story of divine love, a story of God rescuing his people from slavery, of leading them through the wilderness Right, as, as we're in the wilderness, it's about the story of God giving them the land that he has prepared. And you and I, Gentiles, I assume, non-Jews, we listen to that story via the New Testament. We listen to that story in light of a different Moses, a different Egypt, a different Passover, a different wilderness and a different land. But the story is framing something up for us. We find out that Jesus is our new and better Moses. Sin and death, our worst Egypt, our worst slavery. Christ, our Passover lamb. The wilderness, the world in which we live. It's a broken world and a divided world. And all ahead of his appearing, Christ's appearing at the renewal of all things. This is the story we listen to. Here might I stay and sing. No story so divine. Now we get that story, that Torah. We get the law into our core, into our inner being, into our bloodstream, oh, that their hearts will be inclined. We pray that prayer. The second thing we need to do is to trace God's grace into every space. Deuteronomy is a beautiful and a terrible book. It's about the gift of God to his people long ago. And it's about that gift being given in a real world and we'll come to the hard parts of Deuteronomy in the weeks to come. But do not be afraid. I love that quote from Frederick Buechner. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can separate us. For It's for you that I created the universe. And I love you, says God. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. Now we'll come to grace next year. But all of this leads to the love of God. So what are we going to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus added, with all your mind. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which I want to land in, in the moment, we need to wake up to the message of God's grace and make it known in every space. Tracing is the art of taking another piece of art 
discovering the lines of the original and the detail, appreciating its beauty, that's why you're tracing it, and then bringing it alive in a new context, with new light, not to steal it, but to appreciate it. We need to trace the grace of God into every space. We need to trace his grace in every space. And the first stop will be your own heart. You need to trace God's grace into your own heart. These commands that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Put scripture into your bloodstream. Learn to love him. Greg Fendler at 10.30 suggested last week that we should all memorise a text each week. How about this one? I'll leave it up for you. You reckon you can do that? Take the one true God and ensure that he is deep in the places of your heart, your soul. Give your mind to him. And the second step is that we need to trace God's grace into your domestic life. These words, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tell the story of the gospel, Christ's gospel, to your children or grandchildren. Do it over and over. Get a good Bible and give it to your neighbour's child if you have permission to do so. You know, listen to the Bible yourself as you walk along the road. I mean, Moses couldn't have imagined that you could do that with a set of earphones and a smartphone. When you lie down and when you rise, think of God when you go to sleep. Pray a prayer when you get up. For the sake of the future, right, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. I want you to look at chapter 6, verses 20 to 25. In the future, when your son asks you, what happened? You tell him right, the gospel. You tell her the gospel. You trace God's grace into your domestic life. And third step is that we need to trace God's grace into the public square. Moses says, tie these words as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Even in current Judaism, you'll find what they call a phylactery, which is a box where the Torah is kept on your foreheads. You can see that in Israel right now, Jesus critiqued this as not the point. In Manhattan, in New York, our apartment had a mezuzah, I don't know how you pronounce it, which is a sort of case for apartment with the law in it. This is not the point. The point is not to limit your love of God to a box, but rather to explode your love of God out into your public activity, from your heart, into your communities and into the world. Your art, your work, your life, to your community, to your, your community group, to your neighbourhood. We've got to love God with every fibre of our being. Heart, soul, mind, strength. What else? Hands, feet, eyes, guts. Right, with your whole being. Perhaps we should call this 
full-bodied Christianity. I want it. In chapter 10, verse 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And this has to be out there. It's a challenge. Jesus said, Jesus loved his father with his whole heart and then was public about it, about it in his communities. Tom Wright once said, since love is the primary virtue, community is the primary context. A good Jewish man came to Jesus and asked him of all the commandments of God, which is the greatest one. And Jesus said, the Shema of Havda. The man agreed with him, and then Jesus cryptically but kindly said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. I can't help but wonder if Jesus has in his mind the whole story of Deuteronomy when he speaks to this man. He says to him, You've got it almost there, you've got the corners. Right. But there's a piece of the puzzle to still get, and then you'll be able to see and understand the whole picture. You see, in Mark chapter 12, at that point in Mark's gospel, Jesus had not yet died as the Lamb of God. He was on the cusp of it. He had not yet risen from the dead as king of a new kingdom. He had not yet risen from the dead that Jew and Gentile might enter the covenant that God made with Israel long ago, showering his grace upon you and me and granting us forgiveness and the gift of hope ahead of the promised world to come. And so here in our wilderness, on the edge of a promised land, a place that God has prepared for those who love him, that no eye has seen, no Mind is conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. One more thing is needed. One more thing is needed. The saving grace of God and faith in him. Love for him. Jesus' death and resurrection mean that we aren't just close to the kingdom of God. We are in Christ. We have the kingdom. We have his spirit taking away stiff necks, hard hearts. We have the Spirit who's given us a new heart that makes us want to love him with our, with our whole heart, our whole soul, our, all our mind and with all our strength. And we know that this gospel will increase our love for him and take away our fears and make us fall down and worship and live in hope. The old Christian hymn writers get it right. When they say, when I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Amen.